It is by far the best, most coherent program we've had for deep space exploration, just because it has such a strong international component to it. The traditional space industry, the new space industry, Congress is on board. Everyone is kind of rowing the boat in the same direction. The Interplanetary Podcast, the exploration of space for the benefit of all humankind. Your host in Guildford, England, Matthew Russell. I am joined on the podcast by uh, my numero uno guest, <laughs> Eric. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. I think this is your third or fourth time. I actually, I've, I've almost lost count. It's been so regular. It's, it is at least my third or fourth time. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Matt. Uh, it's absolutely awesome to have you on. Uh, you're always one of definitely up there in the popular guests. Uh, but this is a good episode. It's episode three hundred, and, and I always, I always do have to thank you, Eric, very much for uh, the fact that you were definitely one of the people that kind of put this podcast a little bit on the map it's not massively on the map but it's uh but it's uh, your support for it early doors was definitely uh something that that uh, really helped so thanks very much so it's always absolutely brilliant to have you back on so i thought we'd talk about what happened in uh 2023 uh, for those who wasn't, for those people like myself who wasn't paying as much attention as we probably should have done, because we were all too busy post COVID. So, uh, yeah, what what what's your new? What's your biggest story of twenty twenty three? Let's let's just just start there. Or favorite? I mean, you know, big picture, the the, the asteroid sample returning from Bennu was pretty cool. Um, you know, it landed in the desert. They brought it to Johnson Space Center in Houston. And, <clears throat> you know, there have been a couple of Japanese sample return missions, but there's been really microscopic amounts of, of um, material. And in this case, that we have a lot of material from this asteroid Bennu to deal with. Um, and, and just providing lots of insights and, and really the ability to do, you know, really meaningful scientific research to understand asteroids and, and the origin of, of planets, you know, at the beginning of the solar system. And so that was, that was from a, from a gee whiz perspective, that was probably the coolest thing I think that happened this year. I mean, we sent a spacecraft out to an asteroid, it, it bopped into it and it grabbed, you know, several hundred grams of material and then brought it back. Um, and, and that was actually almost a parachute failure. So it was almost a catastrophic ending to that mission. Um, but it, but it was not. Um, and then the, you know, Probably the biggest story, I think, from from my perspective, is just the the utter dominance of SpaceX on the on the global launch landscape. They launched more than ninety rockets this year, um, which is we had many years in the two thousands when the world didn't launch ninety rockets, um, and you know they signed contracts this year. <clears throat> it's a, it's a, it's incredible, really. I mean, if you think about SpaceX, they were in competition with. Um, Orbital ACK, now Northrop Grumman, to deliver cargo to the International Space Station, right? That was their earliest NASA contract. And now this year, because Orbital ATK slash Northrop Grumman had problems with their rocket, uh, they're launching the Cygnus spacecraft for Northrop on the Falcon 9. Earlier this year, ESA's Euclid mission launched on a Falcon 9 because of issues with the Soyuz, access to Soyuz and, and Ariane 6 delays. Um, in the last month, Jeff Bezos and Amazon signed a contract with SpaceX to launch its Project Kuiper satellites because the Vulcan rocket and New Glenn rockets were delayed. I mean, these, oh, oh, and they're also launching OneWeb satellites. I mean, <laughs> so all of their competitors in launch and in satellites 
are like turning to them because the Falcon 9 is basically the only Western rocket that had any capacity this year. And it just flew and flew and flew. I mean, like I said, it flew, it's going to probably fly about 95 times um, this year, which is it just, if you don't know, I mean, that is like incredibly hard, especially for just a company and not a, a country to pull off. Yeah, I, it, it is absolutely incredible. Yeah, you look at the stats. If if I took out all the Starlink launches, does it does how many how what percentage of the launches are, are sort of just self launching? If you see what I mean, it's like, about forty five commercial, fifty five percent Starlink at this point is, is the breakdown. Yeah. yeah, but I mean it's it's incredible, isn't it? I mean it particularly in a mm. year where Elon Musk can't get himself out of the news it seems it just seems that every week he's doing something where everyone's going what what on earth is going on there you know it's 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 been challenging for me in some respects matt because over the last 18 months i've been working on a book about the falcon 9 rocket and i started it before the whole twitter purchase thing happened and then as i was as i was really getting deep into reporting and writing it he bought twitter and you know, it's just been a incredibly devastating process to, I mean, he's destroying that social network, I think. Um, and, you know, he has just said and done some pretty terrible things. And so you look at kind of, I would call it mismanagement of Twitter slash X. And, and how do you explain that? And this person who has a very, you know, not great public persona, um, but also, like, SpaceX is out there absolutely dominating the launch and satellite internet and spaceflight industry. I mean, they, they are the most important company in the world today um, when it comes to spaceflight. And, and so how do, you, how do you square those, right? It's, it's well, a really interesting question. Yeah, it's 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 almost like being the fan of a, a really great rock band, only to find that you know that the one member is just <laughs> is just an awful person, <laughs> and there's nothing. But there's nothing you can do about it, is it? I mean, it's like yeah, because it's you know a lot of people sort of uh, you know because no one really goes. I mean, I guess it's even more in the UK because there's one thing that it seems that no one gives a monkeys about is 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 the launch thing. I mean, like you could tell that from the Virgin Orbit launch that out of Cornwall just how how utterly dreadful the whole coverage and everything was, even by the BBC. So no yeah. one cares about that. So Elon Musk doesn't have any kind of kudos in that framing. So if I'm at work and people are talking about Elon Musk, it's always in very kind of negative terms and he's an idiot. And it's like, well, clearly he's not an idiot because he's working at the forefront of quite a lot of things that are just unbelievably successful and and society changing and loads and loads, you know, you could just go with SpaceX, Starlink and open, you know, his, his involvement with things like open AI that's basically completely changed my, yeah. my life this year. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. I think, you know, he's, he's like all people, he's flawed. Um, and in his case, his, some of his flaws are pretty deep, but his strengths are also correspondingly, um, you know, correspondingly strong. I think the biggest difference between like a SpaceX and a Twitter is that the people who went to work at SpaceX, you know, he hired a lot of them personally or they did interviews with him and his reputation, you know, no, no one expects to go to SpaceX and, and have an easy job, right? And they're going to go to, they're going to go there. They know they're going to work hard, but they also know they're going to work at the forefront, like the absolute cutting edge of, of space flight. Um, and, and so they understand kind of what they're getting into. 
And they believe really strongly in the mission. Like a lot of the people who work at SpaceX really believe in the Mars vision, or at least the vision of making human multiplanetarian and sort of really increasing access to space. Um, but the people at Twitter, you know, they, they go to Twitter to work for Elon Musk. He came in and fired two thirds of their coworkers or something and changed the vision of the company um, and took this company, which is in San Francisco and had a pretty liberal outlook on the world and has transformed it to a much more conservative, uh, hard right outlook. I mean, so like it's, on one hand, you've got a workforce that's entirely bought in. And on the other hand, you've got a workforce that's demoralized and is completely unhappy, probably a lot of them and what they're doing. And so I think that's that's one of the really big differences in terms of, of his leadership. And also, you know, it's 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 because I've asked a lot of, you know, a lot of SpaceX employees who worked very closely with him for a long time why he was successful when they see what's happening over the last 12 to 18 months, you know, elsewhere. And it seems to be that he's really talented when he's kind of at the edge, leading edge of what's possible and kind of looking around the corner of the future of what's coming and really pushing his people to find new ways to solve problems or to think outside the box or, you know, to really challenge them to, 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 to solve that technical problem or, or think, you know, overcome it. it that, that kind of engineering is very strong at very sort of charismatic and, and very sort of pushes hard in the right places. Um, there's none of that at Twitter, right? It's 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 all of a, a regulatory thing. You've got to satisfy the European government and all of their concerns about privacy. You know, you've got to deal with authoritarian regimes who want in India who don't want you know content from certain parties. You've got to deal with all the politics, and these are things Elon is just not good at. He's very mm. bad, I think, prima facie evidence on, on that. And so I think that's that's part of it. Is like Twitter is basically like a regulatory company, and SpaceX is a technology company. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy. It's just it's. I just find it frust. I just find it very very frustrating when there's where where yeah you can you can hold Elon Musk and say yeah this this guy's done some incredible things and he does awesome things and then he <laughs> and then he has his his weird Clean. breakdown that he had on the TV where he was telling the advertisers to to go screw themselves. It was just very very bizarre behavior indeed. But but you I mean know. even even that message is not. I don't think terrible. I mean, it was the way it was delivered was horrible, <laughs> but basically he was saying that we're not going to be held hostage by the demands of our advertisers. If they don't like our service, they can go advertise elsewhere. You know, there is a message to be delivered there to sort of stand up for your principles and what you're trying to provide. Um, but the way he delivered that message was, was completely counter counterproductive. Um, yeah. and yeah, yeah. you know, really in your face and, and, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, I, when you're when you're when you're the richest person in the world, though, you kind of used to telling people to go f themselves and not having really any consequences because you have screw you money. So I think that's a big part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, let, let's not get too let's not get yeah. too bogged down in, in in Elon Musk as a character. But I mean, it's definitely worth staying with SpaceX because, like wow. like you said, I mean, it, that their launch launch cadence is just literally phenomenal like six years ago seven years ago it, you wouldn't have put money on it being like this you know that they have absolute yeah. complete dominance they've completely <laughs> shattered no, there was, there was the no russians and the europeans really hasn't right, there's, mean, it's like, yeah there's no historical precedence i mean everyone in the world is reacting to what spacex is doing you've got europe trying to recalibrate with the Ariane six and then looking beyond Ariane six to reuse 
Um, Japan came out with the H3 rocket to try to be price competitive with the Falcon 9, and it's already already not. ULA, United Launch Alliance in the United States, is trying to compete with Vulcan. Um, China's, I mean, if you look at the designs and plans of all the quasi-commercial companies in China, they're all emulating SpaceX and the Falcon 9. Um, they, like I said, they have, yeah, they've completely transformed the world. We haven't even talked about the Starship. No. Which is kind of the next generation. Here. Yeah, well, yeah, let's get on. To, before we go on to Starship, I just, your first pick, I think the OSIRIS-REx, I, I agree. I think that's just, I just love space missions like that because there's so many little bits. All, I mean, billions of things that have to happen right and they get it back. And all of those billions of things happen for them to have a full canister of rocks. It's quite in- And there's, there's, there's just, there's so much more exciting coming in the space missions. I mean, the Juice mission launched this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that was this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Ju- yeah. Ju- I mean, Juice is obviously my personal favorite because I was down. I was, I was in Germany as the, as the host, yeah. host of the ESA launch for it. So that was absolutely epic, and got to, to talk to a lot of the people on that. But we'll, let's I mean, let's talk let's talk about Juice later because I think that's a it's a brilliant mission, the Juice one. Yeah. But okay. but sure. but the. Yeah, I mean Osiris Rex. I, I we we uh, we got a little bit of the rock over in uh, at the Science Museum here in here in London. I haven't gone to see it yet, but I, I definitely plan on doing that in twenty in twenty four. But have they have they actually opened the canister yet? Have they actually got it open? Because because well, the last know, I been... saw, it was just the it was just all the bits of rock around the outside of it that they've been kind of using at the moment. I I should I should know this, but they were having like real difficulty getting mm. it open. And they like they have this this like elaborate clean room where they're trying to make sure that the samples aren't. And I think they were having trouble using the tools they had to to get it open. Um, so I'm gonna have to take a mulligan on it. Yeah, no, I'm I, sure. I I'm, I'm pretty certain the the, the last news <laughs> item I read was they haven't got it open, and I haven't seen one that's come up and saying oh, they finally got it open. So I'm assuming yeah. that I'm assuming a, right at this stage. I mean, by the time I've edited this, hopefully they they may have done, but I guess. You know, it's. I guess it's not a Christmas priority. They, They're being got, extremely careful to not yeah. screw anything up because you're not going to get a redo. No, you know. No, I mean that's. Uh, yeah, that's a few billion. You're a few billion in, aren't you? You don't want to make yeah. <laughs> a few billion. Like, like if you were to start planning for a, a redo mission now, you you wouldn't get the samples back for fifteen or twenty years. So, like, yeah, yeah. These are like you do one or two of these missions a career. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, if if we talk about the juice one, for example, you know, I, that's the one thing that I've really learned over the last sort of five or six years of interviewing people over over stuff like that is that each of these missions really is essentially a lifetime of work. You know, I was I was there with one very very young uh, scientist, and she she sort of basically started a PhD on on the Euclid mission. And mm-hmm. it looks like that, you know, and that will probably see her out for the rest of her career or the data that's coming off that, you know, that's that's going to just go on and on and on and on and on by the time it actually starts functioning and they've got everything going. It's, you know, so yeah, the, it, these missions are, they're, they're sort of generational, aren't they? And it's something that I, I, I don't think is a story that gets across to the public as much as it probably should do. Yeah, I mean, it is just, it's an extraordinary commitment if you're a mission scientist to, to, you know, it's like, it's competitive. So maybe you've got like a one in three chance or so that the mission actually gets picked up. But then, you know, from conception to launch, to getting to wherever it's going to go, to getting the data or the, the samples back is it, is a two decade process. Yeah. And that's a long time. Yeah. And there was a couple of those launched, weren't there this year as well. There's the, the Psyche mission, which I think is one of, one of, one of the ones I'm really most excited about, particularly, I actually think that that's going to be, quite a photogenic mission to be really yeah, interesting I mean, 
What I'm excited about is the fact that, you know, we spent a lot of time exploring Mars. And Mars is interesting and fascinating for lots of different reasons. But we've had a couple of big missions that have gone to the outer planets and looked at them. But there's so many really interesting worlds out there. So there's Psyche with the metallic asteroids. Juice is going to look at a lot of the icy moons around Jupiter. Um, Clipper is going to launch next year, hopefully, and go and focus on Europa, which is one of the really interesting moons. And then later this decade, the Dragonfly mission is going to go to Titan and hopefully land on Titan and fly around the surface of Titan, which has these weird methane oceans. So I'm excited that, you know, within our lifetimes, Matt, hopefully within the next decade or so, we're going to get lots of answers and insights about these really interesting moons around Jupiter and Saturn and the asteroid belt that we really have not you know, really explored in a meaningful way, um, you know, really drilled down to those specific worlds. I, I'm very excited to see what, what it comes from all that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, one one of the missions that sort of started in my childhood uh, is is Voyager, and I, and, and I think they've lost contact with one of them now, haven't they? Or, or have they managed to reestablish? But I think they've, they've lost managed one. to reestablish. But oh, they're having they? <laughs> they're having you know the, the spacecraft are now 50 years old, 60 years old. They're as old as us. Um, and they've been flying, th- I mean, we've been flying through space our whole lifetimes too, right? But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they've been out there on their own in the cold, vast darkness of space flying away and, 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 but no, they, 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 they have contact with them and, you know, they're, they, they had an issue with Voyager one where, um, it, it, it lost contact, but I think they've got it back. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, presumably there's just people that have been working on that. <laughs> came in halfway through the mission and are seeing like out the, their the retirement. Man, the, the mission manager Meredith, I think, is his title. Ed Stone is like seventy-eight or eighty. I mean, he's you know he's been doing it his whole time. But. Wow, yeah, that's that's crazy. Right, okay. Here's here's my big. So here's the big SpaceX one that I think everyone's the most excited about, and and that was the two Starship launches this year. Because I mean, <laughs> in terms of spectacle, they certainly were p- pretty. Epic. Let's let's start with the first one. What were your what were your what were your feelings when you watched that one? I think we spoke actually. I think we I think we've spoken since then. But uh, I mean, my my first initial feeling was just gratitude that it was lifting off. Um, because I had, my birthday was around that time from it. I'd missed like everything my fiftieth birthday because I was down screwing around in South Texas trying to watch that one. So going to finally when I was like, yes, um, it's 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 just. You know, I thought it was a successful just to get it off the pad because mm-hmm. they had been working so hard to get to that point. And, you know, when you when you talk to lots of rocket scientists who are working on new vehicles, especially like startup companies or, or you know, not NASA, like they you they get so desperate to just get that piece of crap off the launch pad and get data and and because they've been working on it for so long and, and you know, sort of got to the point where they think it's the best possible condition. They just need to fly it, see what happens, learn from it, and then improve the next vehicle. And so I think that just getting it off the pad was a was a big deal. Um, obviously, it, it performed not well, um, but, and then there was serious damage to the launch site, but they got lots of good information about the first stage engine performance. And, and like I said, just clearing the power and getting that vehicle into flight was was a significant success. And and watching it, I mean, it was a stunning, t- stunning to watch it. Yeah, I mean, it must have been incredible. I mean, it's 
considering how much damage was happening underneath the rocket at the time, it is actually incredible that it did get off the, did yes. make it away mm. from the tower. Because, I mean, it's like it clearly knocked out quite a few of, of the engines before it got it absolutely anywhere. <laughs> yeah, SpaceX has not really exactly said how much of the engine damage was due to just troubles like starting the engines versus um, like debris kicked up while it was still at the tower, slowly lifting off and just concrete and other, you know, pieces of debris mm. coming up and damaging the engines. Um, I think there were some software issues as well involved in that. But but yeah, I mean it was a it was a it was and this was an Elon decision from years before to try to build the Starbase launch infrastructure without sort of elaborate flame trench and and water suppression system. Um just to see what would happen. Um and they thought it would be faster and and less require less maintenance if it worked, and obviously it didn't. So they had to they had to go in and do lots of work after that. Um, but you know, in true SpaceX fashion, like the one thing the thing they're best at is moving quickly and and learning from their mistakes. And so I think what really struck out to me about Starship this year was the fact that seven months later they had. Com- Completely rebuilt the launch site. Um, added a, added a, you know a very sophisticated water suppression system. Um, put in a flame diverter and basically you know built all of that up and repaired all the damage and put a new vehicle on there and got permission from the FAA after their flight termination system didn't really work very well on the first launch and they flew again. I mean, it's if you look historically at time between first and second rocket launches, it's almost always twelve months or longer. Um, and this obviously is a very large and complex rock and they had lots of issues on the first flight. So the fact they flew seven months later and the second flight went really well, I mean, it was, it was, I think that's an extraordinary achievement that you have to put down on the fact that the people at SpaceX, the engineers and the technicians are really freaking dedicated to what they're working on. Um, because they work, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to South Texas, but I live in Houston and I know Texas coastal summers are hot, humid, miserable affairs and they were out there every day you know for seven months putting putting that rocket and launch site together and and you know the second launch <clears throat> was incredible the first stage performance was entirely nominal they got stage separation the second stage flew for a while i mean that was it was a, really a, an incredible success oh yeah i mean just the just the sight of all of the engines all lit i just thought was i just i actually genuinely thought that that was just unbelievable because that has you know something that powerful has never been seen on the planet before <laughs> I mean, it's, it's as simple as that is it it's like no that. i mean the soviets <laughs> the soviets tried it four times with the n1 and they never got that far um yeah. and you know this has more engines and obviously things are different right from the 1960s yeah. it's it's but not it's, much I mean, it's not but much different but, but I mean, yeah. the, the physics have not changed um yeah. and, and the soviets had more resources right um at their disposal and then and obviously many more people so yeah i mean it was it was a phenomenal achievement um uh, against the backdrop of a company that was also launching you know 90 plus falcon nines last year and 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 building like 100 starlink satellites a week or like you know 50 a week i mean it's just it's crazy like like it's it's yeah yeah i mean it's 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 insane i mean presumably starlink isn't making a profit yet that that that's it's not it's, no it's they like, said this year this by the end of this year it was profitable oh wow okay so it's like so they're turning a corner on that so i mean that 
It's phenomenal. I mean, it's uh, like 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 you said that the, the story of SpaceX is just is incredible. But but where does the what's next for the Starship architecture? I mean, uh, is it is it? <laughs> I'm going to ask the the silly question. And is it is it ready for a uh, m- uh, man landing on the moon in in 2025? No, 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 no. Of course not. <laughs> um, I mean, they have so many more technical hurdles to go. I mean, the first the first thing is they've got to actually fly the vehicle and and land, you know, and, and do a nominal mission profile, um, and and land start have Starship go through its normal burn and then and make a controlled landing near Hawaii, and that probably all happens on the next flight in the first quarter of next year, um, and then they've got to sort of start landing the first stages back at the launch site, um, and grabbing them with the launch tower. And then they've got to demonstrate in-space refueling. That's like such a key part of this. You're going to have to have like maybe 10 or 12 launches of Starship to fill up a Starship tanker to go to the moon and come, you know. So th- uh, this is like the, 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 the transfer and storage of, of liquid methane and liquid oxygen in space in orbit is very difficult. Never been done before um, on any meaningful scale. So all of that they've got to do. And then they've got to go to the moon Right and operating the lunar space, which SpaceX has never done before. You know they don't really operate vehicles beyond geostationary transfer orbit. Right, so the moon is a whole new um, regime for them to work in. And then you've got to land on the moon, and then you know, I think the biggest thing, Matt, that no one has really talked about too much because there's all this other crap to get done before you get there, mm-hmm. is actually taking off from the moon. Right, these are the hypergalls or storable fuels. You know that that it's are in your spacecraft. This is. You are starting Raptor engines on the moon with liquid methane and liquid oxygen, mm. and you know you're doing it without any kind of launch infrastructure whatsoever. Um, and Blue Origin's New Glenn lander, or, or Blue Origin's lunar lander, is going to face the same issues as well. Like you're dealing with um, liquid fuels, which are challenging to manage, and operating it all remotely on the surface of the moon. And so you know, and, and if that rocket doesn't take off, your your crew probably dies. Um, or, or, you know, it, 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 it's a real tragedy. So mm. th- all of that has to happen. Um, and so, you know, I think a reasonable target for the first lunar landing is 2028 as kind of your starting point, And then maybe it slips a little bit further. Mm. Yeah. In which case, does that open up a window for the Chinese to get there first? So that's one of the things I'm really hoping to dig in on next year is to try to find out how realistic the Chinese lunar program is. Um, they have a nominal target of 2030. I don't think they'll make that. Chinese space program has made astonishing leaps in progress over the last decade, and especially in recent years, done some really impressive things with at both the moon and Mars um, and been building a space station. But, you know, landing on the moon is really super hard. Um, and... And China is certainly having financial issues, and they don't have unlimited resources for their space program. It's like basically like the way it was explained to me is, you know, do you spend money on this lunar program, or do do you build subways, or make sure people are fed? So like they they have they have real challenges as well with that government. Um, setting aside sort of the authoritarian nature of the the Communist Chinese Party, um, so I you know. I don't think they'll make 2030. I do think they they are on track to land people on the moon. And and, and so China has a very streamlined architecture. NASA's is much more convoluted, right? You've got, you know, landers, you've got a gateway, you've got, you know, you've got the crew launching on a vehicle and then transferring to another vehicle to go down to the moon. Um, all of that is in service to eventually build 
a much more sustainable program. That just means it's something we can afford and keep flying for more than a few years um, and do something more than flags and footprints. And, and key elements of that are reusability of the vehicles. China's going for a much more Apollo-like program, which is basically like the simplest way to get to the moon so you can do it the quickest. Um, and so that's one reason why I would think China has a, has a nice little advantage in terms of beating America and its allies back to the moon. I just think that they're going to run into some technical problems. And so while if we're talking about a 2028 Artemis three landing on the moon, you know, I think China's more in the 2030, 2035 time frame. Yeah, I mean, that, that simplistic approach. I mean, we, we were just talking just slightly off air about the, about the Smarter Every Day video uh, that you haven't seen yet. Uh, but it's <laughs> the, it's the, yeah, but it's the, he does sort of bring, he does nail that point about, because he he asks, you know, I think he was slightly shocked by that the, the fact that there had to be 12, 13, and he kind of figured it was actually 15 um, super heavy launches yeah. to do the refueling, to, to go out to, to, to actually make this system work. And he was saying, you know, how on earth has it got that complicated? And he, and he pointed out that the hypergolics as well, that, you know, that you've got this system where you're worrying about taking off from the moon and you don't have a, a system that you know works you know that it's it's like this this you can't help but work with hypergolics but whereas you're you're igniting a rocket engine and it might not work and so yeah that that for me kind of makes china have a, a huge advantage if they're doing it in the style of apollo but then it's the it's the you're back to tortoise and the tortoise and the hare that, that aren't you 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 what you want to build the the better system for the long term plan i mean it's it's for me it's philosophical matt I mean, we had a rush to the moon program in the 1960s, and then we had nothing for 50 years in deep space. And so I want a spaceflight program that, you know, is affordable and allows us not just to send a few people, the first woman and first person of color, um, and some white guys to the moon. Like, I want us to eventually be living and working on the moon. And ex, you know, extending outward to asteroids and, and and Mars eventually, and you don't do that with a big, expendable Saturn V rocket or a big expendable Chinese rocket um, and hypergolic fuels, which are nasty and toxic. You do that with a modular approach to launch and in space refueling and learning how to deal with cryogenics in space and learning all of these lessons that we need to learn to make Artemis successful. And I don't think the number of launches for Super Heavy is, is baked in at 15. Um, I think one of the reasons we've seen hot staging on Starship launches is to increase the capacity to get more fuel um, to orbit to bring that number down. But if it takes 10 launches to, to reload a Super Heavy Starship, oh well. I mean, SpaceX is launching 10 rockets a month now. I mean, it's not like this is going to take forever. This is the new era of, of launch efficiency. And these are not you know, these are not $100 million launches. If, if you're bringing Starship and Super Heavy back, these are $10 million launches. Um, so, you know, I want to live in the future. And this is like, there is a, there are going to be some pain points to getting to the future. But sort of looking at China's approach and saying, well, they're, they're doing what NASA did in the 1960s and it's more efficient for a few missions. Great. Good. I want to live in a future where access to space is ubiquitous Um and it, the economics of it open up the opportunity to do really interesting things in low Earth orbit, geostationary or geostationary orbit, and the moon, cislunar space, and beyond. And, and these are the steps. 
These are the right things. Bringing down the cost of launch, in-space propellant transfer and storage, gas stations in space, and, and, and reusable hardware. These are the absolute things we ought to be doing. Um, and yeah, it's going to be harder and there's going to be some, some growing pains along the way. But this, if you talk to anyone who knows about space, like these are the necessary technologies we need to really unlock a vibrant future in space for humanity. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. For me, it's like it's it's the it's things like manufacturing in space and on and on the moon and in that sort of in the the resources and, and, and using the resources you, that are there. You can't afford to do any of that if it costs you a fortune yeah. to get there and it costs you a fortune to get back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess can't do it. Yeah, I, I, it must be very hard for traditionists. I mean, it's even hard for virtually anyone to get their head around the fact that you've got you're, you're building the biggest the biggest rocket ever. The the you know the super heavy and it, and it's. Yet you're going to have to, you know, you, you're, you're you're launching ten of them to do a, to do a single mission, and it's like it's because it's unusual because it's yeah. because you've not seen that kind of architecture before. It feels improbable somehow, but I guess it, I guess it that's like everything mad. in life. Yeah. It seems completely mad, right? Why would you launch fifteen rockets to send three people to the moon when you could do it with one in the 1960s? Are you guys idiots? <laughs> um, and I mean, the simple answer to that is if you look at that stack that went to the moon, the Saturn V rocket, the Apollo spacecraft, it's a huge rocket. Everything, like the first stage fell in the ocean. The upper stages flew off into space and never came back. The Apollo cat spacecraft, you know, the lunar module stayed on the moon, right? That was the reason. And then the Apollo capsule did come back to Earth. It splashed down the ocean and it was put in a museum. And like all of that hardware served one purpose. Well, what if you could build a rocket and fly it 20 times? Which, by the way, you can. SpaceX is now launching yep. its rockets yeah, yeah. 20 times. So this is, the, the the Falcon 9 has proven out the test case for all of these technologies. And so, you know, it just, it does seem completely mad, but this is the physics of the world we live in with chemical rockets. Um, and this is probably the best solution for the 21st century. Yeah, I mean... I guess that's the remarkable thing that Elon Musk has done is, is he's found a route financially where you're doing things like getting NASA contracts and building Starlinks, et cetera, et cetera. So you can, so that you can afford to build the next generation of spacecraft with, with virtually no money coming in elsewhere. And, and yet so it's, it's, that is remarkable. I have to say that that is just totally nuts that you can have that. That takes a lot of vision, right? takes an incredible amount of vision. I mean, it, it's, and that was the vision, you know, founding, you know, day one when he founded the company was to, to send humans to Mars. Hmm. Um, and so every sort of decision he's made at SpaceX has sort of been in service to that eventual goal. And, and so they need to launch a rocket, then they need to launch a bigger rocket, the Falcon 9, they need to make Falcon 9 reusable, they need to do human space flight, they need to pay for the vision to Mars, was that was Starlink, and they needed a big rocket to, to do it, and that was Starship, and and getting NASA contracts paid for a lot of that. But they took that NASA funding and they didn't put it in the pockets of shareholders. They sort of self-invested it in you know the next step. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 incredible. Now, I the, the only I, I think the the I mean this is me. This is me sitting in my little house in the Surrey Hills. Uh, the 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 um 
with the, the a very thing, lovely Christmas sweater, by the I way. I know. This is, yeah, from my mum. <clears throat> this is keeping me warm. It's absolutely freezing here for some reason today. So, Or I'm coming down with a cold, which is, you know, would be typical on the only few days I have off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the, I remember having a chat with a couple of the ESA guys when I was out in Germany, and they were, and and their their main objection to the, the whole architecture was, was the, lack of escape system for for starship itself and and that it, you know that was the thing that, that kind of worried them the most there's there's no way out there is no launch abort is there there is no launch abort system on starship and that's that's a significant deal um you know we've seen on some soyuz launches where a launch abort system can be life-saving you know the fact of the matter is you know nasa flew the space shuttle on 135 missions without a launch abort system and so at some point the space agency decided that that was an acceptable risk to take um you know it it's i guess the good thing is you know the first the very first space shuttle mission to orbit had two people on it john young and bob crippen and like that was new hardware completely out of the box and they didn't have a launch abort system they were testing a new spaceflight vehicle starship is going to launch hundreds of times, I would say probably 150 times before Jared Isaacman and a few other people get on board it for the first launch, crewed launch. Um, so, I, I mean, I understand that, and that's a valid objection, but it's, it's we did it with a space shuttle, and like you're going to have tested this hardware hundreds of times. Mm, I, I mean, I, I, I mean I, my understanding was that the space shuttle was kind of one of its nails in the coffin when everyone decided actually yeah this is a little bit this is a little bit risky isn't it having no launch abort system i thought they okay. did i thought they had i thought they had like for the first few ejector seats that almost certainly would mean you would die but at least it was some form of rudimentary abort system yeah spatial history is not my forte um but they they also tried to they did do ejector seats and then they took them out and then they looked at it again after after challenger but there was never any meaningful launch no, abort no, no, system. No, no, for, no, 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 absolutely not. I mean, it's just you know you you just don't you can't do it. No, no, I, I, I but yeah, it's the it's it's a remark. It's a it's it looks a remarkable system, and I guess it will. You know, if if this does happen twenty, you know, twenty twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, landing on the moon, it's gonna it's gonna be an absolutely incredible thing to watch because just so much of it just feels like it's on an on an epic scale that's not been done before in space it just feels like you know the space shuttle i think is is still pretty goddamn epic when you look at it and particularly that <laughs> like sts1 is still yeah. to be the most crazy space flight that has ever taken place i just think that that's yeah it's incredible crippled and young hats off to them for being that brave to step into that thing but it's the that, yeah, that that whole that whole for the first landing on the moon. If 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 SpaceX is the system, if if the Starship is the system that's doing it, and it it will be incredible. That's that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. I agree with you that the Starship was an incredible, you know, choice by NASA to land on the moon um, because they. I mean, I mean, it is a, such a complex system with those. You know, many launches to refuel the vehicle and, and all of that stuff. So, uh, but it was their only choice. I mean, they, the, the, the other lander in the competition, Dynetics, could carry negative mass to the moon. Like it didn't have any capacity at all. Like you would need to spot it 20 kilograms to help it get down to the moon. Um, and then the other choice was Blue Origin. 
right? A Blue Origin-led team, which is very slow and has great engineers, but, you know, they've never launched an orbital rocket before. Um, and so, like, SpaceX had the most complicated system, but they also had a track record of, of stepping up and doing these things no one expected. So it was, it was, it was if you were going to move beyond the lunar module type approach, right, which they use during Apollo, which China is using as a part of its International Lunar Research Station, then you, you, you get much more complex. And if you try to reuse it, it becomes more complex. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, you mentioned the space shuttle. I think Starship is kind of like the spiritual successor to the space shuttle. Because the space shuttle originally conceived was like, take dozens of people to space, um, entirely reusable, um, easy to refly and relaunch, um, and, and, and low cost, you know, it's supposed to be $25 a pound to orbit. And it was closer in the end to $25,000 per pound. Mm. Turned out not to be easy to refurbish the vehicles. I mean, Elon never talks about reusable launch. He talks about rapid, low cost, reusable launch because that's the lessons of the space shuttle. The space shuttle, except for the external tank, was reusable. Like, no doubt about it. First orbital rocket that was reusable. But it wasn't low cost and it wasn't rapid because you needed a standing army of like thousands of people to look at the vehicles after they came back and refurbished them and, and get them ready for next flight. And so it's like, you know, it's, you can do reusable, but you got to do also do rapid and low cost reuse. And that's really what Starship is, is aiming for. And it's a huge challenge. Like we have not seen any data yet on reentry. Like that was a huge issue with, with the shuttle, right? You had these, these very light, delicate tiles that were very good at moving heat away, but then had no, you know, it could be dinged by, by impacts and, and damage. And so, like, is this Starship tile system going to be able to hold up during reentry? We don't know. How, how, how difficult is it going to refurbish the vehicle between flights? We don't know. Um, again, add that to the list, long list of challenges we talked about earlier for Starship to the moon. Yeah, it's it's basically a very. It, the great thing is, it is really, really interesting. It, I mean, it's 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 almost started an industry of people like me, I guess, <laughs> and all all the kind of YouTubers in particular who've kind of just following following this essentially just following yeah. spacex and it's become like a sort of an industry in itself of 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 people out there just following that one story because it's because it is that interesting it deserves that amount of coverage it's, it's i mean it's exciting because it's really the first time in my lifetime that a company or anyone has been out there doing something that really feels like the future of, of human exploration they may fail um you know what they're trying to do is very hard, but it does feel like they're trying to take us into this new this new future, um, where where no one else was really pushing those boundaries out. That's, yeah. that's I think that's what's so exciting about it. It is a thought experiment. If if Elon Musk just just disappeared, just disappeared yep. off the face of the earth in twenty twenty four, would SpaceX carry on being this innovative? company would 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 you would you start to lose your bet because you just said they may not do it do the chances of them doing it without elon or the chances of with elon increase or decrease so i have thought a lot about this and i think there's two ways that that elon is despite all of his flaws remains indispensable to spacex and the first is that he it, SpaceX is still the disruptive force that it is, is because of Elon Musk. Like, if you look at 
all the companies, like the history of corporations, there's something called the founder's mentality, right? You come into a new industry, you want to disrupt the industry, um, you have a better product that you can build for a tenth of the cost or, or whatever. You know, it's like you come in, you disrupt the industry, and SpaceX did that with the Falcon 9 rocket. They, they provide faster, better, and cheaper launch services to NASA and the Department of Defense than anyone else. Like, they upended the market. Um, and it's, but SpaceX is now 20 years old, and they are, they are a leading company in spaceflight in the world. But they're, they're not resting on their laurels. Like, they have not become, like, gone for, like, Boeing used to be a very dynamic startup company. I mean, all of these companies were, you know, Standard Oil. Like, they all sort of were these different things. SpaceX still has this founder's mentality where they're still disrupting. Like, they're still disrupting themselves. Um, they're, they're, they're always trying to get better and, you know, pushed into the future. And that is, there's no question in my mind, that's because of Elon Musk. Um, he, he's never satisfied, never wants to rest. And so if he were to go away, they would lose that. Mm. And the other thing is, is, is that, is that he pushes things forward. It's, it can be very abrasive. Um, it, it really wears on people, but like, you know, when he's not at Starbase in South Texas or at a factory or headquarters of Tesla or wherever, like things slow down. Like, like he sort of wills things forward through his force of personality. Um, and so I think SpaceX would lose some of that as well. And so without him, I think SpaceX would become sort of this less of a special company and more of, you know, sort of more quickly become a traditional space company. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. I think that's I think that's a pretty spot on analysis. I, I I heard it somewhere. It's called imperial capitalism, where you look at the 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 the, the companies that are in the in the FTSE one under or the Nasdaq or what or whatever, and, mm-hmm. and you and you sort of say, well, which ones are doing it for the shareholders? In or you know, if I'm the CEO of a company and I'm just sitting there going, I could take risks, but I'm on a pretty decent salary. I all I need to be is the captain that sails a ship correctly at right. this point there's nothing in it there's no, there's nothing in it is there there's no, there's no reason to sort of go out and do and and yeah it's to break a few eggs to make the omelets as it were but uh yeah i, I think that's a spot on analysis thing you, you need elon so it would be a disaster if he if he suddenly disappeared or went completely mental <laughs> right so i mean it's like it's like he's got this really difficult needle to thread because he's got to remain disruptive but not a distraction um and you know it's just it's I don't know if he's going to make it, but I sure hope he does. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very interesting, right? We, I, I'm going to because we've been on on uh, on SpaceX so long, and I, I actually think that's probably fair enough. It is it is SpaceX year. You could hardly deny that, could you? Really? Yeah. The uh, it's certainly not the Russians yeah. year, Roscosmos. Or, <laughs> but, but but ESA ESA did have a few pretty epic things this year, which was obviously the the Euclid and the uh, and Juice, like you said, they were they they were pretty big launches. And I think my my favourite after being involved with the Juice launch and then and then seeing it had that aerial problem where they they couldn't get the aerial mm-hmm. out and t- and talk back and that and of course a similar sort of thing had happened with Galileo and it was like no, it's happening again. And uh, they managed to sort of. I, I, I love the engineering thing of just shaking the uh, the the spacecraft yeah. around a bit yeah. and, and tell the thing until the pin falls out and your and your aerial <laughs> comes out. I think I think that's. Uh, I love that element of uh, of of space engineering that, that that they do stuff like that. You know, I'm in awe of engineers because like I see like a technical problem or my wife wants me to like 
fix something and I, I, I like run away in terror and like engineers <laughs> like run toward problems to fix them. So my, my, about the only trick I know to fix something is to bang on it a little bit, you know, with a hammer or something like that. It sounds like that's kind of what they did with the space car, which I love. So I'm like, hey, I could have fixed that. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 that's, it's engineering number one. It's like, you've got a, have you got a hammer? Well, have you tried that? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the, the one thing we haven't mentioned either, which was a NASA ESA project, was the Webb Space Telescope. Yeah. Because that well, launched yeah. at the end of last year and it, it, it went through its whole, com, you know, whole unfurling and commissioning phase, which was extraordinarily complex. And I thought, there would be significant problems and it came through almost perfectly. And what, what a fantastic year of revelatory images and data Webb has provided us about the universe. I mean, it's just acting in concert with the Hubble space telescope. It's just an amazing time oh, yeah. to be I alive. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I mean, some of the YouTubers that I, I follow or some of the, you know, or some of the papers that you see written about yeah. just the first, I mean, this really, we're only sort of scraping the surface of the first tranche of data, I suppose. I suppose these were the okay. missions that were right at the top of the list. So I suppose we are getting some of the really good stuff right away. But I mean, some of it's just, well, I mean, it's yeah. changing our understanding of the universe. Instantly. And I mean, this has been a 25 year effort to get that telescope design built into space and it took way too long cost way too much money but i mean it's hard to argue with the results of what we're seeing it's phenomenal yeah, yeah. um and you just you know you know that so many people worked so hard to make that happen you just really have to applaud them and appreciate the the industry and their scientists and engineers and technicians that, that all came together for that yeah, I mean, I guess, um, and that's, I guess, that's the reason for the delays, isn't it? Really, you, you, you literally had this this system, which probably was the most complicated set of things that had to happen for a mission to to work, and it was delayed yeah. until they knew that it would actually do each of those steps perfectly, and and it would get there. So I guess that's you know. It's the, it's the complete opposite of the Starship design, right? Because Starship, you're like, well, we're going to build, the first 10 are all going to fail in significant ways, but by 11th, we're going to have this amazing rocket. And where Webb is like, no, the, you get one shot, so you have to test everything, every you know every which way you can think of 10 times, and, and then put it together and test it all again. And it's just like, you can't fail. It's, it's you know, yeah. Yeah, no. And anyway, it's a remarkable achievement. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, that it is undoubtedly, yeah, the greatest scientific instrument that's that's around right now. It's 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 incredible. It's an incredible achievement. Um, Europeans, in terms of uh, rocket launch, it hasn't particularly gone <laughs> particularly well for us, has it? This year, uh, particularly Britain, where where we managed to not only have our first attempt at an orbital launch, but it seemed to have taken down Virgin Orbit at the same time <laughs> with its failure. I mean, the, the finances of Virgin Orbit have been shaky for a long time. Um, and so I, I, <laughs> I never bought into that spaceport Cornwall, um, <laughs> propaganda. Um, and, and, you know, but I, I will say that like, there are lots of orbital launch pads being built in Britain and Scotland and North of Scotland. And like, I think within five years, it's going to be an incredible place to see, to live. If you're interested in rocket launches, because you'll be able to see them. Like, I mean, mainland Europe is not going to be doing that outside of maybe Norway, um, and so, and there's just so much, there's so much happening in Britain that at least one or two companies in spaceports are going to make it. Mm. Um, and so I think that's, that's really exciting, you know, looking forward to in terms of polar launches from the UK. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the mickey out of the UK, but I am, I am sat here in Guildford, which is, which is, 
it's secretly one of these places that builds an incredible amount of the world's satellites. Like so much of it comes out of this, you know, the the University yeah. of Surrey and and Surrey satellites. It's you know, it's 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 actually a really cool place to live. And there's lots of lots of space geeks walking around all the time in <laughs> around my, my around my hometown. So it's it's um, so we're we're there. We're, we're kind of in the mix. It'd, it'd be it'd be interesting to see where it all ends up though we could, britain's one of these places where you feel as though we've lost a little bit of ambition yeah <laughs> on things like well, that but i mean it, it, the the lack of entrepreneurial spirit i think has hampered europe and i'm we'll put the uk in that bucket yeah you know in compared to what we're seeing in the united states with the you know the really the new space revolution but there is there are some efforts to change that and you know, and we'll see. Uh, it, we'll, we'll see what happens. But like I said, there's enough activity. Like there's, there's, I don't know, maybe 15 launch startups in Europe now. I mean, I, mean, I think maybe one or two of them are going to make it. Um, but you know, enough will make it, and that there's going to be some pretty cool stuff happening. Yeah, so, and and yeah. the in space stuff, lots of really interesting thing happens in, in the UK and elsewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. The um, there's always that the, the <laughs> when you said about the entrepreneurs that there's a there's a misquote. There's a quote that often gets attributed to George Bush, George W. Bush, and that is that he once said uh, the problem with the French is that they don't have a word for entrepreneur. But I don't think it's true. If it was true, <laughs> that would be it would be pretty classic. But uh, I don't I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't that's think too it's bad. True. <laughs> that's too bad. I mean, that's something he would say. <laughs> but ah. uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, is there is there anything else around the world that of, of any note that you thought, oh, the Indians are doing something uh, funky, or the Japanese are doing something uh, interesting? Well, I mean. You know, the Indians landed on the moon this year, which was a, a very nice achievement, um, putting them, you know, on par with uh, China and NASA and, and the former Soviet Union um, in terms of that achievement. So that was great. Lots of energy and interest in the space program in India. Japan tried to debut the H-3 rocket. That failed. They're going to come back again this year, you know, and go again. But they, they also have lots of, you know, they're doing some interesting things as well. The Russian program is is very much in decline um, for lots of reasons, but they don't have the resources and the brain drain, and and it's just it's a it's a very challenging environment for them. And China is obviously doing very interesting things, um, and and you know they they've had lots of success with launches of humans and and their own space station this year, which I think is really a pretty significant significant achievement. One thing we haven't talked about is the. Um, you know, there's the competition in terms of racing to the moon on the civil side, but also militarily, there's a lot of interest in the United States and China in cisgender space, the area around the moon. Um, and so I think that competition is continuing pretty pretty heatedly as well, albeit with less coverage. Um, yeah, is, is, is that the sort of thing that will get any coverage at all, or, or will it just be there'll be a lot of hardware around the moon that we just barely hear about, if at all. No, I mean it gets it's good coverage because if you launch things into space, there are tracking. So we're tracking stuff. China puts up there, they're tracking stuff, and that gets out. So there there will definitely be coverage of it. I know, you know, ours technical where I work, we're pretty interested in that subject, um, and so we'll be following it. But other 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 publications will as well. But it's just something to track. You know, it's it's space is is, is there's three domains. And it's really true. There's the civil space exploration, the Apollo, Artemis, blah blah blah. Um, the International Space Station. Then there's the um, 
commercial space, which is flourishing, and then there's obviously um, military space. Mm. And is it so? Your your predi- predictions for predictions for next year. What you what you what what do you think are going to be the sort of big stories? Well, you'd year. like to see some rivals to SpaceX step up in terms of launch. And so we'll see if United Launch Alliance's Vulcan rocket works and if they can fly a couple times next year, that'll be a success. Um, Ariane 6, we'll see if they get off the ground next summer. Um, it seems like they've finally completed all of their major tests so that there should be in some increasing confidence in that schedule. Um, and then um, Blue Origin is... is talking a lot about a new Glenn launch in 2024. I've got to believe that if it happens, but they're getting much closer. So these are all serious competitors to, to SpaceX in terms of medium to heavy launch. Um, and I'd be very interesting to see if the, 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 their debuts are successful. They're very much sort of closer to the James Webb Space Telescope paradigm of like, let's try to get everything right in the first launch versus the Starship launch where let's throw, throw something against the wall and see what sticks. Um, but I expect that at least one or two of those three rockets will have some sort of failure that precludes mission success, whether it's upper stage issues or, or, or whatever, um, just because it's, it's, these are challenging, challenging projects. Um, and then, you know, NASA is going to be working toward its Artemis II launch, to, including a Canadian astronaut around the moon. Um, it's not going to happen in 2024, but that probably will happen in the first half of 2025. So there'll be lots of preparations for that. I think that's pretty cool. Um, China is doing some more interesting things um, with, with lunar missions next year. Uh, NASA's got its, its Europa Clipper launch, which should be pretty pretty exciting. Um, so, I mean, what I love about space, Matt, is that when I first started covering this 15, 20 years ago, it was basically like space shuttle flights was like most of what was happening um, in terms of news coverage. And, and I love the space shuttle. It was a very ambitious program, but it was really pretty boring because it was mm. five to seven people going up and rotating around the planet for five to 14 days and then coming back. Um, and it's, it's just so many more players in terms of companies, countries and things that are happening that it's just, it's, it's, we had to hire a second space reporter, Ars Technica, Stephen Clark, because there was too much for me to cover. Um, and, and so it's, it's great. It's a fantastic time to be alive and following the industry. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, it's like, I, well, hence the proliferation of of all the sort of YouTubers and and people like myself. I mean, because it's it's genuine. There's genuinely some interesting stuff, and I actually think it applies to not just yeah, not just the the, the sort of launch uh, as well, but it, but the science as well. The the science that the, like it's never been a more interesting time. I don't think to be an astronomer or a cosmologist or. Or, right, more a particle physicist for that matter. In, in terms of, it's there's so much exciting stuff happening. Yep. Well, um, thanks very much for for coming on. But we, you've uh, you've done the whole hour. That's not bad. A whole hour of, of of Eric Berger. So that's that's awesome. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks very much for for coming on. Despite despite your uh, your uh, dogs chasing the postman. Yeah, sorry about that. But um, well, thanks very much, Eric, and I'll yeah. I'll let you get on with your day. It's always okay. a pleasure to see you. Lovely. To Thank see you, man. Happy holidays. Appreciate it.